Pastor Pete. My prayer is that this message you're about to hear will help you to understand and experience God's love and power, regardless of what you may be going through today. God bless you. The Lord uh, surprised me when I was studying, and I'm, I'm thinking, as I'm reading through Galatians, I was thinking that it was saying one thing when it, when it uh, was actually saying something even deeper uh, than, than I, I thought. So I want to, um, as we're continuing to work through the book of uh, Galatians, how to be a fruitful tree, how, how, how to be fruitful in our lives with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Um, one day Jesus saw a fig tree. I love figs, by the way. Uh, I love fig newtons, as a matter of fact. If, if you've never tried a fig newton, I'm very sorry for you. It's a very tasty little cookie with figs inside. So when I heard that Jesus wanted figs from the tree and he didn't see any figs and he was really upset about that and he cursed the fig tree, I thought to myself, I can relate to that Jesus. I love figs. And if I don't have access to fig newtons, uh, it makes me a little sad. I can find them somewhere here in, in Mexico, I'm sure. But he wants, when he comes to our tree, where each, each of us are like trees, and if he comes to our tree and he sees no fruit, he's expecting to see some fruit because he's pouring water, he's giving you sunlight, you come and hear the word, and then you go back home during the week and there's no fruit. There's a reason for that. If you don't see fruit in your personal life, if you don't see fruit in your marriage, if you don't see fruit in your parenting, if you don't see fruit in your thought life, he wants to show you this. He wants, to, he wants there to be some good Good things that, that come out. There are other allegories that are given in Scripture um, that I gave some time ago. Uh, another Scripture, it, it not only, some Scripture talks about fruit coming from a tree. Some Scripture says you need to build on a rock instead of building on sand. There's a lot of different allegories and illustrations that are, that are given. I want to remind you, of something that I shared uh, with you all. Um, and uh, let's go to the next one. Remember when I, I shared about the, the Freedom Tower in New York? Um, there, is a, there is a gentleman that I spoke to this morning who told me uh, some things that they do as they plan to build. Uh, something as, as tall as this edifice, as, as big as this building. There's some planning that goes into it. And go to the previous, uh, the previous uh, picture now with the, with the picture of the, yes. <clears throat> so in this particular passage, we're going to talk about faith challenges in marriage. Faith challenges. And 
if you want to be successful, if you want to be fruitful, if you want to have success in your marriage, if you want to build on a good foundation, it takes uh, some communication with your wife. It takes communication with your husband. If you're not communicating, then you cannot build your family the way God wants you to build the family. So as I was reading through this passage, God was reminding me about a couple in the Old Testament as I was, as I was reading through this. Let's go back to the building. Let me go back to the, to, to the building now. So as a couple, it, just say you, you're, you're trying to build. You're trying to build. Something that happened, interestingly enough, in the book of Genesis is when people tried to build the Tower of Babel, the first thing God did to stop it was he messed up something called communication. The people couldn't even communicate anymore, and so the building was not able to continue. It's similar for if you're building for positive reasons, too. If you don't communicate with your husband, with your wife, with the Lord, because actually it's not just a communication this way. First of all, you need to be communicating this way, amen? With God, talking to God, communicating with each other. Talking to God, communicating with each other. So when I spoke to my friend who was one of the supervisors, one of the superintendents for, the, for building this in New York City, and he was attending my dad's church. I was telling you about him. His name is Frank. I said, tell me, how many times a week did you meet? What did you talk about, Frank? And this is what he said to me. He said they have a few meetings a week, more than one, where they plan to do the building. The other thing that Frank mentioned to me was that they discuss future goals. So they have a long-term goal, and then they have short-term goals. And they say, for example, this week, these next seven days, we're going to finish a whole floor. So a whole floor will be completed as far as the infrastructure set up with the cement and the, and the, uh, the walls have to be set up, and they have to do all of that for, for the floors. They have to complete a whole floor in one week. That's one of the things that they do. The other thing he mentioned was during those meetings, violations are discussed. For example, if a worker didn't do something properly and he did something that was against the rules, those things are brought up and most likely that person loses their job. There's consequences for that. They really take this seriously. Something else that Frank, Frank Hussey is his name, something else that Frank mentioned to me was there's a bonus for incentives. So if you're doing really good work, you get a bonus. So it gives incentive to work well. They know somebody's watching us. Violations are going to be brought up <laughs> if I'm not working properly. They set these goals, make sure our whole floor is completed in seven days. The other thing he mentioned is if it rains, that's no excuse. You have to make up that time and make sure the work gets done and gets done properly. Sometimes in marriages, sometimes in families, we make excuses for, well, this didn't, if this wouldn't have happened, then I would have went to church more. If this wouldn't have happened, 
then I would have showed more appreciation to my wife. If this wouldn't have happened, so all these excuses, what he's saying is when you're building something like this, rain is no excuse. You need to make up for that time. You need to do what you ought to do and continue to set those goals and reach those goals. Two other things he mentioned was accountability is important. Accountability meaning someone who sits down with you and if you know that you promise to do something, they will challenge you to get it done. So these superintendents not only compliment you, they have to correct you, you're held accountable, you're asked questions about did you do what you're supposed to do. Husband and wife need to hold each other accountable. If I'm speaking to the kids a certain way, that's not proper, I have invited D to say, you know, let me know, was that okay? Did I say that correctly? Eh. Or you, you, you could have said it this way, or good job, baby. But we hold each other accountable and we're able, and, and, and then if I see her maybe not going about something right, maybe with the finances or something, and she does very well with money, and I thank God for D. But if there's something I need to ask her about, we have meetings. We have two types of meetings every week. One day we're discussing our budget, things that need to be paid, activities for the kids, sign them up for swimming, sign them up for basketball, sign them up for this activity, make sure we get to church on Wednesday. All of these things, we talk about our schedule that week. That's one meeting, budget, school, education, all of these different things. Okay. Even during that meeting, we ask each other, are you reading your Bible daily, sweetheart? What is God saying to you? These type of accountability. Are you praying, sweetheart? Are you praying? Accountability. Very important. These are things that we do. The other meeting that we have during the week is we just go out on a date go out for some ice cream, and we purposely don't talk about anything stressful, which is hard because a lot of times things are happening that's kind of stress. <laughs> but we sit down, we have ice cream, and we're looking into each other's eyes, and we're laughing. Sometimes while we're having ice cream or having some coffee, we start to remember some funny things that happened 10 years ago. And usually those funny things had to do with me doing something crazy, and she starts laughing at me all over again. But that's okay. Then I laugh, we laugh at each other, we have fun having all these memories. Or we just talk about something that's going on with our kids that makes us laugh. So we have sort of a business meeting one day, and on a different day, go out on a date and have fun. This provides really good communication, but also accountability, and we're able to just enjoy our marriage, but also plan for the future. The other thing he mentioned to me that they do, that he mentioned that they finish each floor properly, and here's a word he used, menothalytically, and I don't never use that word before, but here's what he means by that. Don't stop and continue on another day. Don't say, okay, we're going to stop doing this and I'll get to it and procrastinate and I'll get to do it maybe two days from now. 
if these walls are not poured and solidified on the same day, that wall, if they put together a wall and they start on Monday and say, I'll finish that on Wednesday, that is considered a weak wall and it's not safe. Procrastination can bring about some weak walls in your marriage. If God tells you to do something, do it now. Don't procrastinate. So it was interesting. When he told me that, I thought, wow, I can definitely apply some of this to marriages. So let's move forward. Let's look, let's look at this. <clears throat> As I was reading through the book of Galatians, listen to what God said. It's very, very important. In your marriage, listen to what God tells you. I don't know what famous shows they have here that talks about marriage or makes fun of marriage or has no respect for marriage, or maybe you have some talk shows where women are saying horrible things about men, or maybe there's these soap operas where you watch it and it just looks like all of the men are cheating on the women, or you see these women who are saying, well, I'm going to cheat too, and you're, you're filling your mind with all of that stuff about marriage, or maybe you, maybe you read novels and you know it's feeding your mind with things that are not pure regarding marriage, and God is saying to you, start to listen to him. For those of you who have a car or a motorcycle, you would never put dirty oil or dirty gasoline in your car. But many of us are putting dirty things in our mind about our marriage. We become suspicious of our wife. We become suspicious of our husband. I was about to have breakfast with someone recently who told me how displeased he is with his wife. So we were going to talk about it. I began to tell him, you know, that nobody's perfect. There's no perfect husband. There's no perfect wife. He really does not know Jesus Christ as his Savior. So this is an opportunity for me to encourage him to start to follow Christ. Allow Jesus to fill his life. Pray for me as I talk to him about his marriage, but most of all, his relationship with the Lord. Because that's the first thing. That's the first thing. Very, very important. But let's look at this. Look with me. Look with me in uh, Galatians. Chapter 4, beginning at verse 21. Verse 21, what does it say? Tell me, you who want to be under the law. Remember now, the Galatians were turning from the grace of Jesus Christ and trying to bring about salvation their own way by obeying the law. He says here, do you not listen to the law? Do you not read the scriptures? Don't you know about these different people in the Bible like Abraham and Sarah? Don't you read? Don't you listen to the law? Very, very important. Listen to what God said. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that God's word is profitable for teaching, for correcting us. So listen to God. Listen to God. What does the next thing say? What do, we, what, what do we have here? During a faith challenge, and you will have faith challenges, by the way. During a faith challenge... Choose to listen to God with the intention of obedience. This is why Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. 
and follow me. So if, you're, if your marriage right now is struggling, or you know someone whose marriage is struggling, we're about, I'm about to show you something uh, in the lives of uh, Abraham and, and Sarah. But if you know that there's a struggle, you need to ask yourself, am I really listening to God? Am I like a sheep that's really listening to his voice, or am I listening to other voices? Sometimes what happens, we start to get advice from people who do not follow Jesus about how to love our wives. Bad mistake. The Bible said, let God be true and every man a liar. So we need to really tune in to what is God. He's asking the Galatians, aren't you listening to the law? Don't you listen? Don't you see the mistakes that some people have made? They've gone sidetrack away. What's the next thing? Adam and Eve, the first couple, the first marriage, Adam and Eve as a couple did not listen to God's warnings. God gives warnings, and Adam and Eve did not listen. Interesting thing, it says here is Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5. They were supposed to give what they made for selling their property. They lied. They agreed together to lie. This is where the accountability comes in. If my wife, if we're sitting down and we're talking about how we're going to spend our money and our budget and our future goals, and she says something that the Bible says we should not do, then I need to lovingly say, sweetheart, you know we shouldn't do that. That's what Ananias and Sapphira should have done. And if you know the rest of the story, God struck both of them dead the same day because they had no reverence for God. They didn't listen to God. They didn't do what God said. Adam and Eve suffered the consequences. We'll talk more about that in a second. They did not agree together to listen to God's instruction, and they agreed to lie. Keep, keep, uh, keep going here. What else is there? Abraham and Sarah's faith challenge. Look at verses 22 to 26 with me. Verse 22 to 26. Look at this. It says here, for it is written that Abraham had two sons. That's a problem right there. Why did he have two sons? God told him that he was going to have a son from his body, from Sarah, but he ended up having two sons because he did not do things God's way. One by the bondwoman, the slave girl, Hagar, and one by the free woman, Sarah. Look at verse 23. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. You got that so far? We're going to go down to verse 26. Look at verse 24, though. 24 to 26. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She's Hagar, verse 25. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. What does that mean? The Jerusalem above. Well, we'll talk, I'm going to, I will explain that to you in a second. Let's read this. Look at this. There are some experiencing God, 
principles. God is trying to say to Abraham, I want you to experience me in your life. Sarah, I want you to experience me in your life. You're going to have a baby. So either you're crazy or I'm crazy. <laughs> she laughed. She really laughed. And then she lied and said, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. But she really laughed. And they had a child named Laughter. Isaac, his name means laughter. So interesting thing. He's saying to them, I want you to experience me. Here are some principles of experiencing God. Try not to read that and listen to this. And try to, try to stay with me. Look at this. Look at this. Experiencing God. What are some, these, are, these are seven things to keep in mind if you want to experience God in your life and in your marriage. First of all, God is at work around you. God is at work. He's doing great things around you. Keep that in mind. Number two, God calls you into a love relationship with him. That's very, very important. Because if you don't enjoy this love relationship with God, and if you're not satisfied, we sang a song about being satisfied with Jesus, if you're not satisfied in this love relationship, then you're going to depend on your wife for perfect love, and she will disappoint you, and you will be angry with her because you had false expectations, unhealthy expectations. Same thing with women and their husbands. Imperfect man expecting perfect love. So God is saying, I'm at work in this world. I'm inviting you into a love relationship with me. Numero uno. Number one. You want to have this love relationship. Okay. Here's the other thing. Number three. God invites you to join him in the beautiful work that he's doing in this world. So he says to Josue, Josue, I love the guys you work with at HCL. I want to save those guys. Josue, join me in reaching them with the gospel. And Jose, as an obedient servant, he says, yes, Lord, use me. Here am I. Send me. He joins God in kingdom endeavors to reach the world. So number one, God is at work. Amen? God calls you into a love relationship. God invites you to join him in his work. Then God starts speaking to you. He starts communicating. While you're walking with Jesus, he starts talking to you. If this isn't going on, then you can't have a good marriage. He's saying, look, look, I want to work in your marriage, but join me. And see, see, every day as I'm walking with Jesus, he will tell me some things in how to be more sensitive to my wife. He will reveal things to me as I'm listening to him. So how do you listen to him? Some of you say, oh, I've never really heard his voice. What do you mean, listen to God? What do you mean? Well, there are ways that God will speak. Do you know what this is? This is how he will speak. This is the main way he will speak. This is how you will know it is him. As you're reading the word, he'll start to instruct you of how to love your husband, how to love your wife. These are things that he will do. Not just through the Bible. Sometimes you're in prayer and he brings a verse to your mind. Or he brings something to your mind. And he says to you, you know, you promised to cook for her this week. Oh my. Yes. She's been cooking all week. Why don't you help her cook? He might say to the wife, you know, you haven't said anything encouraging to him in the last five days. 
You've been correcting him a lot. He will tell you all these things. He'll show you how to love your children more as you're in prayer, as you're depending upon him in prayer, as you're thanking him, you'll start to realize you need to have a heart of gratitude for what you have instead of always saying, I want a new this, I want a new that. He gives you a heart of gratitude while you're in prayer. You start to confess sin. You'll start to say sorry more to your children. You'll start to say sorry more to your husband, sorry more to your wife. He will speak to you. He'll speak to you through the body of Christ sometimes. Somebody in the body of Christ might say, God put something on my heart to say. But how do you know what they're saying is really from God? The Bible. Amen? If it contradicts this, they're not speaking for God. They're not, their message is not from God. So always, it always has to be consistent. Sometimes he may use circumstances to speak to you. For example, GT, you are here until June 30th. That's a circumstance, right? So it's like, okay, the cloud is moving. God, you're speaking, and we're going to trust you. And he's saying, okay, trust me and experience me in your personal life, in your marriage, in the church. God wanted Abraham and Sarah to experience miracles as they walked with him. Here's some other things about experiencing God. He will not only speak to you in those ways, those are some of the ways he will speak to you, maybe in, a, maybe in dreams and visions sometimes, not all the time, but it will not contradict the word of God, amen? Sometimes through crossroads of faith, you, it's like a, some people call it, one of the authors calls it a, a crisis of belief. It's like, oh, where are we going to get this money? Where are we going to get this building? <laughs> where am I going to get this? Lord, can you really heal me? Can you really heal my body? I would like to have children. Can you really give me a baby? Dee and I were trying for four or five years, no baby. And then a great drummer boy came along. God blessed. But we were trusting him. We were confused. We were going back and forth. We said, Lord, help us in our unbelief. You come to these crossroads of faith. Like, Lord, help me to trust you in this circumstance. Expect, something else I want to share with you about this. Expect adjustments, some major adjustments sometimes. Sometimes you may have to move to another city. Some of you have experienced that. Sometimes you may, you may need to change your job. Sometimes you may need to go to school that you, did not, you weren't planning to go to this school to get more training. Major adjustments. And just keep in mind, obedience is the very best way to show that you believe God's promises. Be obedient. Do what he says, and you will experience him. I wanted to go over those experiencing God principles. So after God promised a child to Abraham, he agreed with Sarah's faithless decision regarding having a baby, and they should have believed God and encouraged each other to remain faithful. Fearing the opinion of others is a trap. Sometimes God may tell you to do something in your marriage, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, how is my husband going to respond to this? But God, God spoke to you. Don't fear your husband. Don't fear your wife. Fear God. Somebody say amen. Ask God to prepare their heart 
so that you can have unity as you move forward in this decision. But Sarah says to, Sarah suggests to her husband, hey, why don't you take the slave girl? We don't have a baby yet. We're really getting old. I know God said he will bless us. Maybe this is the way God wants to bless us. And it was in the flesh. It was in her own efforts instead of trusting what God said. So it's a trap when you're afraid of what somebody else might say. And maybe Abraham says, well, I'm tired of waiting too. My wife is complaining. She doesn't have a baby yet. I'm complaining. And then he made a decision that did not demonstrate faith. What do we have next? After their bad choices, Adam and Eve and Abraham and Sarah played the blame game. There was a blame game that they started to play. So even though Sarah, it was Sarah's idea to go get the slave girl, after he has sex with this girl, she gets pregnant, has a baby, but even before she had the baby, she started making fun of Sarah. And then Sarah blames Abraham. You see the mess you got me into? You start pointing the finger at the other person. You see, I knew we shouldn't have bought that house. So now look at the problems we have. Now we have no money. So they start blaming. You start pointing the finger at each other. After Adam and Eve sinned, Adam says, God, I know you put me to sleep. You took this rib out. You gave me this beautiful girl. She's very beautiful. Thank you. But... She's a problem. So now he's blaming God. He's blaming her. Eve, she doesn't confess her sins either. She says it's the serpent's fault. So you have all of this blame that starts going on in these marital relationships. That's what the devil wants. He wants you to be mad at your husband. He wants you to be mad at your wife. For those of you who aren't married yet, take notes. Somebody say it. Take notes. This is what the devil will try to do, but see, you're getting this, these lessons early. Many of us, it was the school of hard knocks of learning about this blame game instead of obeying God from the beginning. Okay, what else do we have? What else do we have? Hagar's child represented slavery while Sarah's child was a promise of freedom by God's miracle. What else do we have? The question is, do you believe God's promises? Do you really believe do you believe God's promises? Challenge each other as husband, as wife, husband and wife. Look each other in the eyes. Do we believe God's promises, sweetie? Do we have to go in debt again? Or are we going to believe God's promises? Let's believe. I've told you this story before. One time, about two or three years ago, God told me and Dee, stop using that credit card. Stop being in debt. We said, okay, Lord. We're going to trust you to provide for us. And one day we needed $1,000. Some of you have been in situations where you needed less than that, and you still panic. We needed $1,000, dollars, not pesos, dollars. We needed dollars. And we needed to travel. The very next day we needed to travel. We're in the basement of my parents' house crying, saying, Lord, where is this going to come from? Maybe we should use the credit card. The Lord said, no. You promised me you wouldn't use this. I said, yes, Lord, we promise. We promise. We trust you, Lord. We trust you. That same day, I heard my dad. He was upstairs. I'll never forget. He yelled downstairs, hey, Pete and D, somebody sent a letter for you. You want me to open it? He already opened it. They sent you $1,000. I think God is speaking to you. We started crying for joy. 
we still needed 200 more. Now that I think of it now, right? So it was $1,200 we needed. Okay, now, Lord, we still need 200 to get back to Mexico. Somebody invited us to a party. They did not know we needed this money. They didn't know. They said, the Lord has put on our hearts to collect an offering for your ministry. It was exactly $200. Do you believe God's promises? That's what you have to ask yourself in your marriage. Or are you going to lean to the flesh in your decision-making? I have a feeling there's a bunch of testimonies in here. Some of you are itching to grab this microphone from me and say, let me testify about something. I made that same mistake five years ago. I made that same mistake maybe last week, maybe you might want to say. We need to ask ourselves, do we believe God's promises? And if we are believing God's promises, it will bring about more peace in our marriage. No more stress, no more blaming the other person. Why did we make that decision? I knew I shouldn't have listened to you. Meanwhile, the children, they're watching everything. I'll get to that. Don't worry. Let's go to the next thing. If you struggle with faith, ask God to help you in your unbelief. The new Jerusalem, what is that? That's the place that God has prepared, and it's going to come down and fit like a puzzle piece. This is the new Jerusalem, not made with human hands. Amen? This is a place that God has prepared for us. But meanwhile, while we're down here, don't be distracted by the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, trying to impress your neighbors because they got a new car last week. You want to get a 2017 Mercedes. 2019 Mercedes. Just because your neighbor has one. We get caught up in this stuff. And God is saying, look forward to the perfect place. Be satisfied with what I've given you down here. Amen? I will supply all of your needs, not all of your wants. God was trying to teach this couple a lesson. Eventually, yes, Isaac was born. But when Ishmael was born, it caused a lot of problems in the family. Because they didn't do it God's way. They didn't wait on the Lord. They didn't take God's promises seriously. But the new Jerusalem is up there and it's going to come down. We have something to look forward to if we trust Jesus as our Savior. This is another promise from God. We can look forward to that. Okay, what do we have next? Results when families don't trust God. Okay, here we go. Abraham resorted to something common in that culture in order to have a baby. Back then, it was very common. If, if, if your wife can't have a baby, they said, let me find a slave girl or somebody so I can carry the Campbell name on, or I can carry the Smith name on. Or I can, this is very, it's very cultural, but just because it's cultural doesn't mean it's biblical. Amen? You want to do it God's way. So Abraham resorted to something common in that culture in order to have a baby instead of trusting God to do what he promised. And in, in Genesis chapter 15, it says, God told him, from your body, you're going to have a baby. You and Sarah. He, God knew it wasn't good. It's good. You and your wife. You don't go and look for another woman. Just as you are, I'm going to do a miracle. Watch me. But they didn't trust. They were leaning on their own understanding instead of trusting. Lord, what else do we have here? Hagar started to give Sarah a hard time. So this is, this is what starts to happen in these 
type of relationship. You take another woman, she starts making fun of the, the wife, and then when the baby's born, there's problems with, the, if you think about it, I don't know if you all realize this, the problems between Joseph and his brothers, those brothers were from another woman. Joseph was from a different woman. So you have all these sibling rivalries when we don't do things God's way. Some of you have that type of experience in some of your families. God, yes, God is merciful, but there's consequences when we don't do it God's way. Hagar harassed Sarah, and Ishmael started to mock Isaac, the two boys from different mamas. Unnecessary grief came when Abraham sent them both away. So now Abraham has to send away Hagar, the slave girl, and his firstborn, Ishmael, has to send him away too. And he must have been crying that day. Like, why did I get myself into this? Because after they were harassing, Sarah said, get rid of them. We got to get rid of these people. And they needed to be separated from that mess. It was a messy situation. What else do we have here? In a similar way, there are consequences when we depend on other things for salvation, for love, for peace, or security. This affects our children emotionally. Be careful, husband and wife. When you make bad decisions, don't think it's not affecting your children. They're watching, they're listening more than you think. You might say, well, she's only five years old, or she's only two years old, or she's only, she's a teenager, she's not paying attention to the bad decisions we're making. He's a teenager. He's not paying attention to the bad decisions we're making. And some of you know that when you were a teenager, you were paying attention to all the bad decisions they were making. In a similar way, there are consequences when we depend on other things. This affects our children emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Isaac and Jacob made bad decisions similar to Abraham. So then you have generational consequences. But there's hope. You might be sitting here watching this and saying, gosh, I really messed up. Or my dad messed up. Or my grandmother messed up. I want to encourage you that you can break that cycle in Jesus' name. If you believe that, say amen. You can break that cycle. How? How can you break the cycle? This cycle that is maybe started from your great-grandmother and it's, it's just moving on down, and it's affecting your own family. Trust and obey, and you'll be blessed. You will. Start doing it God's way. Start saying, Lord, we want to put our marriage into your hands. I don't want to do it the way my daddy did it, and I'm not going to make an excuse for not building properly. I'm going to stop making excuses. No more of that. What else do we have? As we close, look at verse 27 to verse 31. Verse 27 to verse 31. Look at this. He said, it is written. It is written, he says to the Galatians. Very interesting thing what he says here. Rejoice, barren woman, if you can't have children. Rejoice, barren woman. Now, this is all allegorically speaking, but watch this. If you're barren, maybe you're barren in other ways. Maybe it's not that you can't. Get a, have a baby, you can't get the job you want, you can't get the, the, the security you want, you can't get that home that you really need for your situation, whatever that is. He's saying rejoice in your situation. 
Break forth and shout. You who are not in labor, for more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. You might think that the most important thing in this world is to have a husband and have children. That really represents a blessed person. You're still focusing on the things of this world. God has blessed you. Look at verse 28. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. God has given you promises that you need to claim and stop listening to the devil's lies. Amen? Verse 29, but as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So it is now, so it is now also, but what does the scripture say? Cast out that bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir to the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. What does all of that mean? Well, let's read as we close. <clears throat> we need to trust and rejoice in God's promises during challenges and wait on him when it seems like the unbelieving world is prospering. This psalm is very interesting because it says, I will remember the works of the Lord. It seems like all of the wicked people are, are doing so well. Maybe Sarah was like, look at all these wicked women having children. I can't have any children. She starts to focus on the things of this world instead of focusing on what did God promise me? God promised us that I'd have a baby. God promised me that he will supply all of my needs. He says, through Abraham's seed, all nations will be blessed. She, you, sometimes you need to walk around the house and repeat scripture. Somebody say amen. You got to walk around and say, okay, what does God's word say? What does God's word say? I'm not going to listen to the devil anymore. And your husband or your wife might be upstairs crying. You need to go up there with a loving heart, put your arm around them and say, let's, let's quote the promises of God together. Let's not make a bad decision because if we make a bad decision, there's going to be consequences, sweetheart. Let's believe God together. Let's believe God. And you start to pray. You start to pray. You start to pray. Christmas morning. Christmas morning, guys. I was in tears. I was so frustrated about a lot that was going on. I just wanted some privacy with my family. And somebody kept knocking. I said, oh, God, I need some privacy. Can I have some privacy? I was like, Lord, I'm just I'm tired of not having privacy just being honest with you. So I went upstairs in my room Christmas morning. You're thinking, you're a pastor. You're not supposed to be stressed. I got on my knees. I said, Jesus, I need you. I need you, Jesus. I need your peace. I want to hold on to your promises that you will give me time with my family. You will supply all of my needs. My wife came into the room, started praying for me as I was struggling, going through my struggle with the promises of God. And when she started praying for me, the peace of God just fell upon me. Before she came, I didn't want to go downstairs. I was just overwhelmed with the situation. There was a lot of other things going on too. But I praise God after Dee prayed with me, the Holy Spirit started to minister to me and help me. Oh, don't underestimate what happens, brother, when you get on your knees and you start to pray for your wife. 
my dear sister, don't underestimate what can happen when you see your husband struggling and you put your arm around him and say, let's pray. Let's start to believe the promises of God together. Abraham and Sarah should have done that. But they said, let's go the easy way. And we don't have to trust God. I'm tired of trusting God. And it was a horrible mistake because now that began the Arab race and the Arabs have been fighting the Jewish people for centuries because of a bad decision that they made. What else do we have here? We may feel barren. You may feel like something, a lot of things are missing from your life. But a blessing is being prepared for you. Amen? A blessing is being prepared for you. What else do you have? There will be persecution for following Christ. You may have, you may have relatives that tell you, you should do it this way. But you know God told you to do it this way. And they will start to persecute you for some of the decisions that you're making that come right from here. Good decisions. Persecution. You may get it from your own mother, from your own father, from your own sister. Don't be surprised. We may feel barren, but a blessing is prepared. There will be persecution for following Christ because the one born of the flesh persecutes one who's born of the spirit. That's what the scripture says. And we should put away, just like, just like Abraham had to put away Hagar, put away Ishmael. Praise God. God took care of them. God took care of them. This is all an allegory. Don't think like, wow, that's mean. He just put his kid out. This is allegorically speaking because it relates to us. We need to put away anything that does not have to do with the Spirit of God. That's what the story means. Put away anything that's not going to help you trust God and believe his promises. When you start to make decisions out of the flesh and you start to use that credit card, somebody say amen, and now you're going into more debt, 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 that's flesh. When you start doing it God's way and taking his promises seriously, it's a beautiful thing because now we are free. We are free not to do whatever we want. We are free to do what is best. We're not slaves to sin any longer. And the Galatians were struggling with false teaching, embracing false teaching. And God was saying, don't believe in anything that pulls you away from the promises of God. And as couples, we need to recommit to do things God's way. If you're, whether your wife is here or not, if you're a married person, I want you to come up here. Stand, stand right up here. Come on up. If you're married, even if you think you're married, come up here. Come stand right here. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for your marriage in Jesus' name. Hold hands of that uh, wife. Come up here, sweetheart. Come up here, baby. We definitely want to pray. each other. If your wife isn't here, pretend she's here. If your wife or husband is not here, go hold their hand tonight. Lord, my prayer is that you will help 
us as your people in our marriages to believe that you're at work, you're doing beautiful things around us and for us. We don't see it with the human eye. We believe by faith you're doing something beautiful. When our mother's in the kitchen making our favorite meal, sometimes we can't see it, but we can smell the aroma. Something good is happening in the kitchen. And you're preparing something for us, Lord. By faith, we want, you to, we want to say to you, we smell the aroma. You're preparing something good for us. Each of us individually, Lord, we want to tell you we believe you love us. You died for us. You rose again. We know you're inviting us into this love relationship. And we want to tell you we want to enjoy this love relationship more. Forgive us for loving other things. Help us to love you more. Help us to be honest about our emotions. Maybe when we're tired and we just feel like crying. You see every tear and you want to wipe away those tears and you want to turn those tears and the crying into dancing. Help us to enjoy this love relationship. You want to communicate with us too. You're inviting us to work with you, to walk with you. You're inviting us to be a part of what you're doing in this world, but you want to talk to us. You want us to hear your voice. Forgive us for only opening the Bible on Sunday instead of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Lord, what a horrible thing if we're just listening to your voice one day a week. Forgive us. Help us to listen to you every day. Thank you, Lord, for the day you showed me how sweet it is to listen to you every day. Help us to pray to you. Help us to listen to your voice, even from a brother or sister in Christ, who may give us encouraging words, or possibly they may correct us, just like Paul had to correct Peter. Help us to listen to your voice. Help us to not be surprised when this week we're challenged with our faith and your Holy Spirit whispers to us, how are you going to pay for this bill? How are, you going to, how are you going to have enough money to get this done? Help us to realize that when you ask us that question, you already know what you're going to do to help us. You want us to respond in faith. You want us to say, Lord, you are able. That's how it's going to happen. Because you're able, Lord. Help us not to be surprised when you ask us to make major adjustments or some sort of adjustment. Maybe we have a friend that we talk to every week and God is saying, choose some new friends. Major adjustments. Maybe you're on a job and God's been telling you, leave that job. I have something better for you. He's been telling you that the job that you're at is drawing you away from God, drawing you away from your family, possibly. And God is saying, trust me, I am Jehovah Jireh. I will provide for you. The Lord is saying to you in your marriage and even in your personal life, trust and obey. And you will experience me in your marriage with your children, 
and your family. Lord, I hear you speaking. You're telling me that there's husbands here that need to apologize to their wives for not being the leader in their homes the way they should. There are wives that need to apologize to their husbands and say, I don't pray with you. When I see you struggling, I should go pray with you. I should pray more for you. I should encourage you more. Some of us need to go to our children and say, I'm sorry we have not been good examples in certain areas. It'll set an example for your children. Then they will say, forgive us also. We have not been obedient. I thank you for the healing that's going on right now in Jesus' name, Lord. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are working in our hearts. Bless every couple here. The couples that are not here, the parents that are not here, the youth that are not here, bless them also. We thank you, Lord. Use the podcast, use the recording so that others can have a blessed marriage. This is your word. This is your word, Lord. Help us to live as people that are free from sin and no longer chained up in bondage with miserable marriages. We want to experience righteousness, peace, and joy in our marriages. If you want that, say amen. Say amen again. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each of you and even for those who are not married yet, prepare them for a beautiful marriage. In the mighty name of Jesus, we do pray. Well, I hope that message was a blessing to you. Feel free to pass it on to someone who needs to hear it. And if you want to know more about having a relationship with Christ, check out our website at www.graceintruthgdl.org. And remember, so many are looking for real love and power in this life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God bless you.